Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Today we're going to talk a bit about telling your story. Now there's an amazing scripture in the Bible. Hang on a minute, Bradley, I'm just... This is also my piece of tech. Let's, if we can get all this working, it'll be a wonder of our age. There's an amazing scripture in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. It's in Revelation 12. And the background to this is that the huge story from the beginning of the world to the end of the world is just about to finish up. All right? this, is the, this isn't just the end of the story. It's the end of the end of the story. And this is what it says. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives as to sh- so as to shy away from death. Now, who is that? Who are these conquerors? Earlier in the chapter there, you will see a reference to Michael and the angels. You'll see that at the beginning of that chapter. But I don't think it's talking about them. I think it's talking about someone else, because it, I don't think it's true to say that Michael and the angels did not love their lives so as to shy away from death. People who really, willingly faced death for the sake of the Lord and his kingdom, I don't think are angels. I think they're these people. This is actually towards the end. This is Revelation 11, verse 18. It talks about your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. I think it's talking about those people, and that is actually us. That's us. The prophets, the saints. What are the saints? That's us. The people who've believed in Jesus Christ. Those who fear your name, both small and great. Probably around here we haven't really got any very great people, but um, and we certainly have some small ones. All right? <laughs> Don and I looking at each other here. But, uh, but that's us. Now here's the amazing thing. If we go back to that, if, if we look at that, it says, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. That the two things are in the same sentence. Do you get that? Malcolm was talking about the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, And the word of their testimony is simply us telling our story. Is that amazing? That your story and the blood of the precious Lamb of God are in the same sentence as being the things that do the job of finally conquering the enemy forever. Is that amazing? I think it is. This is one of the scriptures that amazes me the most. Now, what what is a testimony? A testimony is a story. It's a special kind of a story. It's a true story with me in it. Uh, here's the example. You go into court and they say, all right, uh, Teresa uh, will now give her testimony. And she stands up. She says, well, I was walking down the main street and I could hear loud arguing voices. It sounded like two men were really having a big disagreement. Then I heard a loud thump and I didn't look because I was a bit scared. I just carried on my way. But later I heard, see, Teresa's telling her story. Now, she's not just telling the story of the ugly duckling, all right? It's got to be something that she knows about, she's telling about it, and that's got huge power. In fact, a testimony in court can put someone in jail. 
or let them off. So that's what a, a testimony is. When we say we give our testimony, we tell our story. We tell what we've seen and heard. Now, there's a Jewish writer who wrote this. He said, there's no better way to make a point than to tell a story. And William R. White, in a book that he wrote called Stories for Telling, he wrote this. He said, in Jewish thinking, there are two kinds of learning. The first kind is called halakha, and that means a kind of a reasoning and a reflection and listening to arguments and making arguments. And the letters in the Bible are like that. If we read Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, the people who wrote them lay out the thing. This is how it is. They explain it. They use logic and they get to you like that. You with me on this? By the way, this stuff's all emailable if, if ever you want to. <laughs> if ever you want the, the, the PowerPoint. Uh, and, and the other kind of writing is called Haggadah, and that means stories and word pictures, such as a way of learning that says, there was once a man who had two sons, and he said to both of them, come out and help me on the farm. Do you see how it's a different kind of learning? It's not like an argument and logical, and it's because of this and that and the other. It's a simply a story. Now, it's said that... Uh, is that a good way for us to learn, by stories? It is, eh? Now, what this man, William R. Wright, said, he said, there's a, sta a saying, if you ask a rabbi a question, the answer will usually be a story. So who's the most famous rabbi of the whole lot? Jesus Christ, you see? And you ask him, teacher, uh, who is my neighbor? And he said, well, the answer is, there was once a man who was walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, all right? The rabbi is asked the question, and the answer there's a story. If you've known me a long time, you're probably going to think, yeah, Jeremy's like that too. Now, <laughs> the point that this author makes is that the story is so important, it's actually more important than the point you draw from it. All right? And what it means is this. What he says is, if we go to Kingdom Kids, some teachers might spend more time getting the craft activity ready than the story, but actually the story is the big point. And this is why. Because... We could read a kid a story or tell a kid a story and we can make the point, you see, this story teaches this, this, and this, and this. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But as the child grows up and gets older and learns more about life and has different experiences, they will see things in the story which they never saw when they were in Kingdom Kids. Does that make sense to you? So the important thing is to stick the story, to get the story to stick in the head. You see, now, let's take an example um, Last week, Mark told us a story about Gideon, you see. Now, Mark used the example, and it wasn't lost on Kate, that this encourages us, because even if we're timid, even if we're not sure, God will be with us, and he will strengthen us, and we will prevail, you see. That's an encouraging point. But the main thing about the story of Gideon is the story of Gideon, all right? That's the thing we must remember because there will be other times when we're in life and we need to think, we're sort of thinking about something, the story of Gideon will come to us with a different point again from what Mark made. And as we grow older and as we have different experiences, these stories are so rich we can mine all sorts of new things in them. See, stories are important in the way we think. In fact, stories can influence an entire culture. Let's look at a few. Who's this? Cinderella. Cinderella. Now, Cinderella ruled supreme for hundreds of years throughout Europe and the colonies as people told the stories of Cinderella 
And a whole culture absorbed the message of Cinderella, which is this. The job of a girl is to be quiet and pretty and do her job and preferably have a tiny waist, which is smaller than a head. <laughs> and one day, a man will come along and rescue her. Her life will be worthwhile and she will be affirmed as a good person. That's the message of Cinderella. Got that? Is that a good message? I mean, I'm getting a few people laughing and one or two heads again. Uh -uh. But am I right? Did it influence the culture? Yeah, now, Disney made this movie in 1950, but of course he didn't invent the story. But in 1950, people were quite happy to think that. And the girls at school with me probably go, oh, one day my prince will come too. All right? A knight in shining armor, a prince will sweep me away on a white horse. This can be destructive. I have a relation who married a girl who was an adult, but she had the Cinderella fantasy. And at her wedding, she said, I'm wearing the Cinderella dress. She was. Because she said, my knight in shining armor has come and swept me off my feet. And she, she told the Cinderella story, this is me acting it out. She even had the dress. The marriage lasted two years. Because you see, the Cinderella, it was sad. All right, this is sad. My children lost an auntie. She was a beautiful woman. But, but, I'll come to that. Compare with this one. Who's this? That's Belle. All right. Belle is a different kind of hero. But, you know, here's the strange thing. Who is she? Beauty and the Beast. Now, consider Belle, please. This, this movie was put out after times had changed with what people thought about girls, right? This is 1991. Motivated by love for her father, she showed great courage. She proves the freeing power and the transforming power of real love. And along the way, she rejects Gaston, the tallest, handsomest, strongest man in the village who all the girls go gaga over, but she says no to him because she's made for greater stuff. She rejects the Cinderella myth, actually. Does she ever meet her special someone? She does. But he's a real man, a real good man, actually. The transforming power of love. This is a wonderful story, an allegory, a story with a message that's very harmonious with Christianity. If we jump forward a bit, this is the one now. Who's that? Okay, the first, the first child who comes up and asks me politely can have a prize I've got about a frozen prize, all right? This is Anna. And she, too, is the new kind of heroine. 2013, this was made. She's motivated by love for her sister. She shows great courage. She proves the transforming power of real love. And along the way, she falls in love with a handsome, charming prince and then realizes that actually isn't real love at all. He's a schmuck. <laughs> Does she meet her special someone? Yes. But it's not the cutesy, handsome prince in the fancy uniform. It's Caleb Watkins, the steady, big, strong rock who's there for you. That's who it is. She realizes that the Caleb Watkins beats the other guy hands down. All right? Because he does. What's his name? Christoph. That's right. Okay. Yay for Christoph. This powerful story of redemption. Now, you see, what you've got to realize is Beauty and the Beast and Frozen are not new stories. They were written hundreds of years ago. Frozen was written by Hans Christian Andersen. It's a Christian story. It's based on the Snow Queen. Now, I, now here's, the, here's the strange thing. I grew up with Cinderella, 
all right, as a kid. I knew the story. And when I was about 22 years old, I consciously rejected it. I said, the Cinderella story is mixed up with Christianity in my mind. My whole idea about what marriage and love is about is influenced by Cinderella in a way it shouldn't be. So I rejected Cinderella. But I only heard the story of Beauty and the Beast when I was about 30, strangely enough. It affected me very much. And that was in time for me to raise my four daughters knowing about it. I only heard the story of the Snow Queen, Frozen, when I was in my 60s. But well, that's enough time for my granddaughters, all right? Now, you can see, but the point I'm making with all this is, is our stories influence our culture. Is that right? Do you see the changes? Do you see a different, what a different kind of girl you'd have whether she goes gaga over Cinderella or whether she thinks Frozen's the cool one, all right? Do you see the difference in the role model for the girl? All right. Now, does our land have its own stories? Yes, it does. Now, consider, please, the character of Maui, who figures in a lot of local stories. Now, Maui has courage, he has strength, he has initiative, and he has profound disrespect for his elders and authorities. In the story of Ra, Maui and Ra, the son, he uses extreme violence to attain his ends. That's Maui. All right? Think about this. I just said to you before that our stories influence our culture. Please think as I'm talking. Extreme violence. In the story of Maui and Mahuika, he, he tricks his auntie again and again to rob her of her powers, showing disrespect to his own auntie. In the story of Hine Nui Te Po, which is R16, I would not tell you about it in front of children, but Maui loses his life by showing a profound disrespect for his auntie, Hine Nui Te Po, and he actually meets his, his death doing it. But the point is, Maui is a person of great disrespect. Let's focus for a minute on the story of Maui fishing up to Eka Maui, the North Island of New Zealand. Maui, first of all, shows disrespect for his brothers, who says that he can't come on the fishing trip, right? He hides under the floorboards, pops out. You could argue, too, that he shows disrespect for Tangaroa, because some versions of the story, the fish hook engages in Tangaroa's house. But the point I want to make out of this one is, the big thing is dividing up the fish. Maui turns his back. The brothers start trying to divide it. This is my bit. This is my bit. They whack, whack, whack at the fish. And that's why New Zealand supposedly has all its mountain ranges, because the fish goes, oh, I don't like that. But I want you to think about our culture today, all right? In America, whatever you think of it, oh, boy. In America, there's this saying, make America great, all right? But in New Zealand, we spend a lot of our time fighting over who gets what. Let's not make New Zealand great. I just want more of it for me. And some of these coastal claims that are going on at the moment, there are 15 hapu are saying we have had full and excuse, exclusive use of this piece of coastline since 1840. We've had exclusive use. No one else has been there. You see, I want this bit of coast. I do, I do. And it, it's being enshrined in New Zealand law, the fighting over resources. And people say, we want more for this. We want more for the gays. We want more for the whatever it is, you know? So it's, it's I think, a profound piece of our country's culture comes from that. We sing this song. See if you can finish it. Make our country good and great. See, that's what people used to think. When they wrote that song, they say, let's have a good country, let's have a great country. And now New Zealand is obsessed with, I want more of it. Am I being too hard? Can you see the roots in the Maui story? Stories are powerful, aren't they? Are there good New Zealand stories? Oh, yes, there are. 
This is the grave of Tarore, who was murdered not far from here, just up in the springs above Matamata, Wairere Falls. And because of Tarore's love for her Lord, and because of the way she carried her Bible around her neck all the time, profound things happened. The first thing that happened was, when his little girl was murdered, her father decided to follow her example, to follow the example of Jesus Christ and forgive instead of seeking, seeking Utu. That was profound. And the killers took the Bible thinking it was valuable, and when they found someone who could read, which they eventually did, they read the book, they realized what was happening, they heard the gospel, they changed. And later on in life, the amazing thing happened that Ngākuku, who was Tarore's um, father, actually sat down and had Christian fellowship with the man who had killed his daughter. That was a profound change in New Zealand. It had not been like that. This was the land of Utu. But what changed it was the story of a 12-year-old girl. Who is... Did, did I say there are good stories in New Zealand? Who's this? You don't know. Honeheke. Honeheke. Chop down a flagpole. If you listen to people talk about Honeheke, you'd think all he ever did was chop down flagpoles, which is kaka, all right? He didn't. Oh, he did. He chopped down some flagpoles, all right? But I want you to consider this. Honeheke became the tribe, became the chief of the northern tribes, a very powerful tribe, in the place of Honeheke. Hongi Hika was a bloodthirsty cannibal warrior who killed thousands and thousands of just innocent people traveling all over New Zealand, used firearms to wipe them out. Large quantities of those people, he and his, his mates ate. Hongi Hika. Within a few short years, Hongi Hika had taken over the chiefship and he decided that the northern tribes would live by the principles of Jesus Christ. They'd get along with people. No more cannibalism. No more murders. Honeheke was an amazing man. He was the first to sign the Treaty of Waitangi. He realized our country could be made by people coming together. And when Honeheke was old, or I'm not sure if it was when he was old or when he died. I think he was old. He got a special award from the New Zealand government for everything that he had done to bring the Maori people and the Tauiwi, the, the immigrants, together. Ah, you didn't know that, did you? You just thought he just chopped down flagpoles. Honeheke was a great man because as a follower of Jesus Christ, he spent his life trying to big bring people together. He chopped down the flagpoles because wrong things were happening up there. That was a stand for righteousness. He was doing good thing there. All right, who's this? Kate Shepherd believed, Kate Shepherd rocks, Kate Shepherd believed that if women could become involved in politics instead of just men, then there would be a more compassionate side to politics. In particular, something might be able to be done about the scourge of alcohol addiction which is wrecking the country. She said, if women were in the government, if women could vote, we could do something about this booze culture. Kate Shepherd was a brave woman. That's a good story from New Zealand. Who's this? See, Edmund Hillary is famous for climbing a mountain, but you probably know, or you might not, that it changed his life forever because he fell in love with the Sherpa people. They were poor, and their lives were hard, and he never stopped doing everything he could to help those people who had helped him climb the mountain. A hero, a good hero with good values. There are good stories in New Zealand. I had a lot of trouble to find Sir Ed with someone else. Most of the photos 
he was on his own. That's him, I guess, with, I suppose it is, yeah. All right, now, I read a story in the 90, or I read an article in the 1980s where a New Zealand author said this. He said, you can tell if a culture's doing well by its stories. He said this. He said, the story of Aladdin comes from Persia when Persia was going down the gurgler. Persia was in decline. This is a story all about magic and good luck. It's the story from a country that's going down. This story, he said, who's that? Dick Whittington. The story of Dick Whittington is a story of resourcefulness and courage and tenacity and perseverance because Dick Whittington, when he was tempted to give up, didn't. He kept going, and that's why he three times became the Lord Mayor of London. The story of Dick Whittington comes from England at a time when England was rising in the world. It was becoming more good and more powerful. Do you see the power in the stories? Is England still rising up and becoming more good and powerful? Nope. My guess is, if you, I'm only guessing because I don't, but I guess now if you watch Coronation Street, you'll find that English stories are sleazy to match the way the country in many ways is going down the gurgler. Is that true, English Valerie? Valerie's giving me a look that I don't know what it means. Who on earth watches Coronation Street? I suggest to you a lot of people do and that it reflects the decline in, in, in English society. All right? <laughs> okay. So anyway, this man, this man, this is what he did. He analyzed the school journals, all the school journals since the Second World War. And he said, New Zealand is in decline. This is in the 1980s. He said, New Zealand is going down. Is, was he right? We used to have two murders a year in New Zealand. How many do we have now? Two a week? One a week, I think. In our street, in our whole street, there was a little boy whose dad didn't live in the house. We felt very sorry for him. How many people now are in houses? How many little kids are there without their dad? So, but school journals aren't the real problem. All right? The real problem is often that. And what, William, what this man, uh, Mr. William White again, he says that, that television has become the great storyteller. The average American who reaches adulthood has watched 30,000 TV stories. And they profoundly... They profoundly uh, change the worldview because he says TV doesn't just provide, doesn't just advertise deodorants and mouthwash, it advertises entire lifestyles. It makes them look, it makes them look attractive. We get a changed idea of what is normal. Is that a fair thing to say? Now as a 12 year old, when I was 12 years old, uh, I said this. Who's, anyone here who's 12? Alright, you're 12. Alright, when I was 12 I said this. We didn't have a television set but I said look, I think, as New Zealanders watch more and more American TV, that New Zealand will become more like America. We will have more violence and more divorce. That's what I said when I was 12. Did it happen? Later on, in the 1980s, I think it was Jim Gilchrist said this, I have a prophecy. Whatever we are prepared to watch on our screens today, we must be prepared to watch on our streets tomorrow. You see, there's a biblical principle there which we studied the other day in Bible study. Beholding, we are changed. If we watch stuff, if we watch it and behold it and think about it, we begin to be like it. It's a Bible principle from 2 Corinthians 3.18. Got it? So, what does William White say 
we should do about this. He says, what, should we try and stop hearing the bad stories? Should we have no TV? Well, that's, that's worked for us, right? We didn't have a TV, and I think it's been good. But what he says is, but of course, then there's the internet now, isn't there? There wasn't when he wrote that. So what can we do about it? He says, this is what we can do about it. We have to start telling the good stories again. We have to start telling the good stories where people are virtuous and dedicated and honest and kind and do well. We also have to tell the stories where people who are evil and selfish and dishonest, where it's shown to be a deadly and sinful thing. This talk was meant to be about telling your story, wasn't it? Okay. Yes, Russ, Russ. Fair remark. I think too, Russ. No, Russ, I think you're right. Thank you for saying it. It's important. I think the other thing too is that it may have been written, that that piece in the 1980s may have been written at a time when we had less choice over what we saw on TV. Russ is right. You can pick and choose what you watch. Thank you. Good point. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Good point. All right. We're going to come to telling your story now. There's two reasons why telling your story is a good thing. It's a powerful thing for two reasons. Number one, you're allowed to tell it. You're allowed to tell your story. Now, if I go to work and it's tea time and everybody sits down, hey, what did you do in the weekend? I said, can I just tell you about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? They go, ah, what are you, what are you on? You see, that's not very tactful. So what happens is, but, but what will happen in work, they say, oh, my auntie, she's got this trouble with da-da-da-da-da. And I said, actually, my mum had that. Can I tell you what happened with her? When we prayed for her, and they go, yes, I've got their interest, you see. There are lots of places where they say, we don't talk about religion here, but you are allowed to tell your own story. I, something like that happened to me once. Can I tell you about it? Yes, everyone in the lunch room's ears. So you're allowed to tell your story. Now, it says in the Bible, he who wins souls is wise. And I gave a talk a little while ago about um, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can find it on podcast. But a lot of that is about how do you bring... God's truth into everyday conversations. And, and there are dumb ways of doing it, all right? But telling your story, telling what you've seen and heard, what happened to you, is a good way. Or to, what happened to your friends. And the other reason is this. Stories stay with us. You see, who remembers last week Mark telling a story about when he was going to get high because everything got a bit much for him and he decided to go off and get stoned? Who remembers that? See, that was a whole week ago, and you remember, don't you? Who remembers a story that Murray told about they're all sitting in their jammies by the fire, nice and warm on a winter evening, and Dad puts on his wet weather gear because what? He's going out to check on his sheep, you see? Now, that picture will stay with me for, for my whole life. I'll never forget that story, but Murray had to tell it because I've never been in a house like that. Well, my own, I suppose. But <laughs> So, when Mark told you about He's going to get stoned. Don't shy away in your story from the weakness and failure, all right? We're weak. We fail, right? I stood up there one day, and in a sermon, I said to this congregation, I talked talk to them about the mental health problems I've had, and a man sitting down there came up afterwards. He said, that changed my life. I'm just amazed. Jeremy Welsh had mental health problems? I had no idea. I've got mental health problems, and I thought there's no hope for me. You see what happened? That I, of all the things I said to that man... The, the fact that I said to him I've had mental health problems changed his life. It lifted a burden off him. I'm okay, he said. Jeremy has our mental health problems too. And with Murray's dad, don't shy away from the good things. Winky Prattney used to say, oh, he said, I used to wish I had a Frankenstein testament, you know. 
I was on drugs for 50 years, and then I did this, and then I, and I was, and it killed my dad. And he said, but, he said, I realized I didn't have to pretend to be a bad guy. All right? people, some, in those days, people would say, oh, I'm going to do some drugs for a while to improve my testimony. How stupid. <laughs> stupid, stupid. So if you came from a good home and God's blessed you, don't be shy about that. Don't leave out the bad bits. Don't leave out the good bits. Nathan talks about his marriage will stay with me forever. How mental health issues put such a strain on the marriage that it was, it would, it was on the rocks. It was at an end, and then God began to work, but with the help of trained professionals as well, and his marriage began to heal. The story of Nathan's marriage will stay with me through my whole life, but what courage for him to tell it, and what courage for Ariel to say he could. Our stories are powerful. Years ago, oh, what was his name? Lifeway College. Who's that guy? Trevor Yaxley told a story of this. He said, it's an American camp. It was meant to be a Christian camp, but it was a pretty wishy-washy Christian camp. But on Thursday, it's, camp, it's, it's cabin 12's turn to take the devotions. So they stand up, and they say, cabin 12 will take the devotions. And if somebody kicks a wheelchair, and the wheelchair rolls up the front, bump into the stage. Because the cruel boys in that camp have decided to talk the disabled boy in their cabin by making him do the devotions. And the boy pulls himself out of the chair up onto the book stand like this. Severely disabled. And he begins to speak. He spoke for five minutes. And what he managed to get out was this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Every kid in that entire hall was sobbing before God. Every boy in cabin 12, whatever it was, got saved that very day. Because you see, it's not our cleverness, it's God's Spirit that does it. Now, we know it doesn't matter if you're not a skilled speaker. We know the Bible says, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says Yahweh of armies. We know that. We know that the Bible says we have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, God's treasures and just dumb old us to show that this surpassingly great power is from God and not from us. We know all that, don't we? But that story of that boy in that camp hit my heart in a way that even those wonderful scriptures didn't. Do you get that? Because if he can do it, you can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. If you can get skills to speak better, grab the chance, all right? Teach your children how to say their story well. I'm not saying we have to speak badly. When I went to school, my teacher said, you come to school to learn, not to talk. What a load of rubbish. Now, I ended up being a teacher, and so many. Yeah, because I thought I could do it better. And I did. <laughs> But so many of the games and activities and challenges and assignments in our class were to help the kids to tell their story. A lot of the kids I've taught in my class, nearly all my kids have been decile one from poor backgrounds. They weren't very good at telling their stories. One day at Waikokawai School, I said, tomorrow, your, your homework is this. Find out some of your story and tell us tomorrow. And the kids came back and one little girl said, 
Mr. Welsh, I found out that my great-great-grandfather was the first Māori king. I said, you didn't know that before. No, she didn't know. But because the teacher told her to go home and find something about herself. So I said to all the kids, did you enjoy finding out about your family? Yes. Then why don't you ask some more? Because we don't want to miss TV. That's what they said. I'm not lying. So be ready to tell your story. We're, we're blessed because we're allowed to tell our story. But when Peter and John wanted to tell their story in Bible times, powerful authorities wanted to stop them. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God. For if we cannot, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We should have the urge. My job, the leader's job, the teacher's job, is to encourage and equip you to do it better. Because we've got a story that's worth telling, and we need to tell it. We should. Now, the biggest story of all is the story in here. This great story that Nathan kept telling us, every little story in the Bible is part of the big story, a story of a God who made a perfect world, where everything in it was wonderful, but only one thing was in the image of God. Who was that? That was us. And people who decided that rather than walk with God as they were supposed to, they'd turn away and go their own way. A God who reached out consistently in so many ways and finally redeemed or reconciled the world to himself by the sacrifice of his own son who came to earth, showed us how we could live, and then paid the price for our sin. The, the stories in the Bible of how Christianity spread and people's lives were transformed, and the book of Acts, they say, is still being written in our lives today. So, that's the Bible. So tell your story. You're allowed to, and your story can change people's lives for the better. And let us know how you get on. I say that nearly every time now, don't I? Because if you come back and tell us the story of what happened when you told your story, you're encouraged, we're encouraged, and it means that we, we're building each other up and getting on a roll. Probably the best encourager in the room is Kate. He comes to me and says, Well, Jeremy, I tried what you said, and this is how it went. Who blooming Ray? Thank you, Kate. There's just one thing that's not written in the sermon, but I'll tell you. There's one time in your, not life, one time in your existence when your story is looked at in its entirety, and that's at your funeral. Margaret had a story, and we'll be hearing about it on Tuesday. When I was a kid, I read about an Indian who lived his whole life trying to make it so that lots of people would come to his funeral. And I thought, how dumb. Then I grew up, and I thought, why not? Because everybody who comes to your funeral says, you meant something to me. You made a difference in my life. You were important. So you know what? You can all come. I want you to come now. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.